Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, I know for a fact that you had a good weekend of cubing because we were streaming at almost the exact same times all weekend. <laughs> yeah, I had I had a lot of fun cubing. Ben, you didn't introduce me uh, with my proper title, which is the 17 Lands Best of Three Cube All-Time Trophy Leader. Whoa, snap. Yeah, uh, which I think is not really anything significant other than the fact that it just shows that I've played a ton of best of three cube on Arena and had a 17 lands account enabled while doing so. I'm not sure that that's as impressive as it sounds, but still, you know, let's get that clickbait going. I mean, I'm impressed. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, the Arena Cube is gas. I really, really like it. I mean, I think, yes, I believe the Tinkerer's Cube probably holds a greater place in my heart, um, and I'd be happy to draft that as well. But I've been having a blast messing around with a lot of different stuff in the Arena Cube. I agree. I like the Arena Cube. I like the Tinkerer's Cube way better. It's not particularly close for me. How do you feel about this? This just kind of popped into my head the other day. I think the Arena Cube now is kind of at the power level of the Modern Cube or the Legacy Cube. On MTGO. It just kind of feels like a normal low powered cube. Yeah, which I, I kind of like. And I also think that it's getting there with like pockets of synergy. Like I found a little bit more, you know, the card pool is big enough now that I feel like there's a little bit more, I don't know, uh, maneuvering you can do or you I, I found myself going, oh, that's cool that this card and this card pair well together, etc. So I, I'm excited about the arena cube card pool expanding and then being able to get a little bit choosier about the kinds of things they include. Right. You just get the opportunity to exercise a little more creativity in the draft. Yeah, for sure. So we're actually going to be talking about cube some more. I mean, I think we have shied away from cube episodes in the past because they haven't been super popular. But I think now with the advent of the cubes coming to Arena and I think, you know, Vow being in sort of its sunset phase and us just playing a lot of cube, I was like, let's let's do another one. And I think we got a lot of really good feedback about last week's episode and even got a tweet that inspired this week's episode where someone was like, hey, great show. This was from Yami Kuribo. They said episode was great. Would love a whole episode dedicated to picks one plus two in cube. And I think that that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at a bunch of draft logs, talk about the packs, talk about where cards go. And I think it's just going to be a great way to discuss how we approach cube and give people a way to sort of calibrate their picks in terms of oh i'm just seeing all of these like powerhouses from their original limited formats but what does that mean in terms of the landscape of this new cube environment right definitely a different ball game yeah so uh before we get into that just a few housekeeping things to take care of first things first is the patreon page patreon.com slash lords of limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they feel like they've gotten some value and they want to give something back to us and of course we like to give our patrons back stuff in turn 
base level, everybody gets access to the Lords of Limited Discord. And as we are gearing up towards uh, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, you are going to want to get in on the Discord. It is the place to be to break the format wide open. And is also an excellent limited tech support resource 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, we got a lot of other great stuff happening over at the Patreon. We have retooled our Patreon reward tier so folks get access to the episode early. There's a private RSS feed for that for folks at certain levels of the Patreon. We also have access to some special additional content, some like draft log reviews, what's the plays that Ben and I do, a few videos of those going up every month, and a lot of other stuff as you move up the reward tiers. And of course, each and every week, we want to shout out our new patrons to welcome them into the fold. So this week, we are welcoming Rick, Cyberdrack, Patrick, Joe, Devin, Mr. Murph, and Keldon. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. Appreciate you getting in on the Patreon. Show is also brought to you by Channel Fireball, channelfireball.com. Best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related. They've got Kamigawa Neon Dynasty pre-orders heading up rapidly, as well as Innistrad Midnight Hunt double feature. If you're into some of those black and white cards, you can get any and all that over at the Channel Fireball Marketplace, along with sweet, sweet singles. And whenever you make any purchases on the Channel Fireball Marketplace, you're going to be supporting someone's LGS, as well as if you use code LOL, all caps the podcast. And we would really appreciate you doing both of those things. Yeah, for sure. And last thing, we haven't talked about this in a while, but you know, we got some merch out there, Ben, over at Tee Public, and you can check that out on our website, lordsoflimited.com. There's a merch tab. You click on that, takes you over to Tee Public, and they run uh, a couple pretty great sales every month. So be on the lookout for those. You can get like 35% off any of the merchandise that you purchase over there, which is awesome. You can get hoodies, uh, baseball tees. I'm currently drinking coffee out of my Lords of Limited mug. So there's a lot of really great options over there um, if you're interested in a little bit of LOL merch in your life. All right, Ben, you ready to take a look at a bunch of cube drafts? I would love nothing more. Love cube. All right. Well, let's kick things off here with one of my draft logs. And we're just going to go through the packs for probably, you know, the first two, three, four, maybe picks for each of these, just to give folks an idea of how we're starting drafts and where we think cards go, etc. I think this is going to be a great opportunity to chat about cube. So first things first, we'll get the lands out of the way. Um, you and I are not taking lands early in the cube. Um, there's Hall of Oracles that taps for a colorless. Uh, it filters for a mana of any color, and you can tap, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature, activate only as a sorcery, and only if you've cast an instant or sorcery spell this turn. And then there's also Scattered Groves, which is the cycling green-white land. So it comes into play tapped. You can cycle it for two mana and taps for green or white. Not really interested in either of those, I would, I would assume. I agree. Almost never first picking a land. It would have to be super weak and have to be a land like Fabled Passage. So we'll filter the cards by color here uh, for the rest of the pack. So in white, we've got Alcea of Life's Bounty. This is single white for a 1-1 enchantment creature with lifelink. You can pay one, sacrifice it, target creature or enchantment you control, gains protection from the color of your choice until end of turn. It's fine. Good role player in maybe a Luris style deck as a way to protect your Luris. Also just good to get on the board early in a mono white deck and protect some of your bigger white threats that come down at 2-3-4 mana value. I don't think you're ever picking it this early, but a fine playable in a white aggressive deck. Yeah, and also yeah, a little bit of life gain if you end up in a black-white life gain matters deck, though that archetype has seemed to be a little nerfed. You know, one of the cards that I think was probably in that top tier list for me in the past was Witch of the Moors, which is a five mana, four, four death touch in black. And if you gained life on your turn at the beginning of your end step, your opponent sacks a creature and you get to return a creature from your graveyard to your hand. I have found that card difficult to enable. 
Yeah, it's way less good this time around. Um, and also a little story about Alcea of Life's Bounty. I don't know if you saw this, but in our latest Lords of Limited Showdown video, I had a red-white Luris deck against Ben's like insane blue-green ramp deck. And you cast Commit on my Weaponize the Monsters. And I had an Alcea of oh. Life's Bounty in play. And I didn't sacrifice it to protect it because I forgot about the enchantment part. And someone someone pointed that out in the YouTube comments. And I was like, oh, dang, I might have been able to win the game had I seen that line. Yeah, for sure. Uh, another protection spell is Shelter. One on a white for an instant. Target creature you control gains protection from the color of your choice until end of turn. Draw a card. Hard for me to imagine ever playing that card. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a protection piece for Luris deck is basically the only way I think about this card. There's Isamaru Hound of Konda, single white for a 2-2 legendary creature doggo. That's another good role player in a white aggressive deck. Yeah, total filler. You're never picking it this early. And a card, again, that continues to hose me and I've never put in a deck is Sarah's Emissary for white, white, white for a 7-7 angel with flying. When it enters the battlefield, you choose a card type and you and creatures you control have protection from the chosen card type. Yeah, this card's a beater. I don't know when I would want to pick it because I've seen it be really powerful. I don't think it's something like in Vintage Cube, though, where you first pick some giant monster and you're like, sweet, I'll draft a reanimator deck or, you know, I'll draft this big mana ramp deck. It feels a little weirder to me in Arena Cube to do something like that because I don't think the pieces are quite there reliably enough that you're just going to be able to get there on that style of deck. So I like it. I don't think I would want to first pick it, but maybe that's wrong. Yeah, I, I just second all of your thoughts there. The Sarah's Emissary feels like a reanimator piece to me, even though I've had it cast against me many times. But if I'm thinking about it like reanimator, like it's just what on burial rights, priest of fell rights and blood for bones, I feel like are the only three ways to cheat something from your graveyard. And the fact that those the cheapest of those really, I mean, I guess priest is you can do on turn three at the earliest I don't know. It just doesn't feel consistent enough to me. Right. So I think powerful and you'd certainly want to keep an eye out for it if you're a white, you know, controlling deck with this as a finisher or have a reanimator package. But I had not into first picking this. Yeah. Our options in blue. We have Suspicious Stowaway, which I've been impressed by. One in a blue for a 1-1 human rogue werewolf. It can't be blocked. When it deals combat damage to a player, you draw a card, then discard a card. That's the daybound side. The nightbound side is Seafaring Werewolf, which is a 2-1 that can't be blocked. And when it deals combat damage to a player, you just straight up draw a card. This is fine. It's a utility low drop. You'd be happy to have that in a blue deck for a curve consideration, but I don't think it's super important. Yeah, I have really liked it. And I think we'll have an opportunity to talk about this style of deck because I think we're going to see this card. But I have liked it quite a bit in blue white approach of the second sun's decks. Yeah, absolutely. I could see that I just recently played against a blue white approach of the second sun's opponent right before we started recording. <laughs> that's how much cube we're playing folks um the other blue card in the back is tesseret artifice master three blue blue for a five loyalty walker pluses to make a one one thopter with flying you can zero it to draw a card or if you control three or more artifacts you draw two cards and you can minus nine to get an emblem with at the beginning of your end step search your library for a permanent card put it onto the battlefield then shuffle your library i like planeswalkers a lot in this cube but i don't like tesseret much i don't think it's impactful enough for five mana that's interesting I, I picked this pretty early the other day on stream and someone was like 
do you think Tezzeret is good? And I was like, is Tezzeret not good? Like, <laughs> I, I, my experience has been very different just because, I, I, yes, it's five mana, but it pluses to protect itself, which is an important benefit of a planeswalker. If it pluses to make something that can then protect its loyalty, and then it has pretty darn high loyalty. So even if they deal with the Thopter, like six loyalty is tough to get through. I don't know. I, I've liked the card. I would say it's good, not great. I just think yeah. four or five drops, I would never pack one pick one it i would play it if i needed expensive cards but i think there are a lot of five and six mana cards that are better than tezzeret yeah i i agree with that like that's one of the big lessons that we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit i think when we look at one of my other drafts in terms of taking expensive stuff early that's a big cube lesson is that you don't need to prioritize five even like four mana plus cards because you'll always be able to get them and it's really also important then to recognize what are the cards that are above replacement or like super impactful at that mana value that you can't afford to pass because if you take the filler stuff early and then you get the stuff that is above replacement or is bomby in cube and then you take that and you've wasted early picks that's that's a feel bad yes 100%. All right, next up, let's look at the black cards in the pack. There's Phyrexian Arena, one black black for an enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, you draw a card and you lose one life. I love a good Phyrexian Arena. I think this is at its best in some sort of a mono black deck with ways to gain life. You know, maybe you've got your gray merchant of Asphodel and whatnot, but it's not a card you're pack one, pick one, and it's a card. You want to already be in black and then just pick this up, I think. Yeah, this is my hot take about Phyrexian Arena. I think this is a card that was good in cube like eight years ago, and I don't think it's good anymore. I think there's just too much like the fact that you can draw cards in black, like black has so many effects like this, that you don't need one that doesn't affect the board in another way. Yeah, I'd buy it. Uh, the other black card is God Eternal Bantu. It's three black black for a five six menace. When it enters the battlefield, you can sacrifice any number of other permanents, then draw that many cards. And it has the God text of if it dies or is put into exile from the battlefield, you can just put it into your library third from the top. This card is total filler, right? Which is just a weird mental shift because this was an absolute bomb in its format. But I think the only place you'd want to play God Eternal Bantu is at the top of your curve in a red black sacrifice deck. Maybe. And I don't even think it's necessary in a good red black sacrifice deck. Yeah, I think I actually just drafted because I'm a degenerate. While you were playing your match against blue white approach, I was drafting before we recorded this morning and I drafted a red black sacrifice deck and I have Bantu in the deck partially because I am just short playables, but also because I have mayhem devil. And so it's a really good like combo kill with that and so i think that makes me actively want it which like what like something like bolus citadel as well as a combo kill with mayhem devil um so mayhem devil is one black red for a three three whenever a player sacrifices a permanent it deals a damage to any target and so you know you do have mayhem devil plus bantu comes in and you just sack your whole board and you get all those triggers and you can kill your opponent yes but this is worse than every two three and four mana value card that goes in red black sacrifice right even one like even those recurrable one drops like gutter bones or whatever like you want those over this card every day of the week right that's what i mean it's just completely replaceable yeah for sure uh the red cards in the pack we've got maniform hellkite two red red for a four four dragon with flying whenever you cast a non-creature spell you create an xx red dragon illusion creature token with flying in haste where x is the amount of mana spent to cast that spell and then you exile that token at the beginning of the next end step this one not so replaceable this is a great addition to the cube and a great addition to the blue red spells deck also plays super well with planeswalkers the artifact ramp cards just the type of cards you want to include in a blue red spells deck 
go well with Maniform Hellkite, and it clocks in a hurry. And cards like that that end the game in one to two turns are very powerful as threats. So I like Maniform Hellkite quite a bit. Yeah, I, I just wrote a little piece for the CFB newsletter that came out yesterday that was about the like best five additions to the arena cube and this got my vote for the best new red card and i think it's just an absolute house and and that's saying a lot given that like seasoned pyromancer was added to the cube as well you know like there's some really good cards that it's competing with and i just think every time i see this i go that's a problem and i assume that if my opponent untaps with it that they're probably gonna beat me that turn or get close to it yep uh the other red card in the pack is not good volcanic salvo 10 red red though kind of sweet with maniform hellkite because you can uh get a 12 12 hasty dragon uh it's a sorcery it costs x less to cast where x is the total power of creatures you control and it deals six damage to each of up to two target creatures and or planeswalkers yeah again totally replaceable and then uh the three green cards in the pack we've got incubation druid one in a green for an o2 it taps to add one mana of any type that a land you control could produce and if it has a plus one plus one counter on it you add three mana of that type instead and it has adapt for three gg adapt three you can pump that five mana into it to give it three plus one plus one counters yeah incubation druid is great normally two mana ramp cards are not that powerful in cube but there's only a couple of one drop rampers in the arena Mm -hmm. cube so anything that's green that has two mana value and ramps you is i think good and something that should push you into green a little bit and especially out of weak packs be in consideration because of a couple things one going from two to four is powerful right just getting a turn ahead of schedule is good in magic period but in cube then the power level of the cards you're playing with is way higher so getting a turn ahead of schedule to play your more powerful cards earlier is even better than normal right when you're playing a busted four drop on turn three and a busted five drop on turn four that advantage you accrue from being ahead of schedule exacerbates itself and gets exponentially more powerful yeah for sure i think that's a really good point about the two mana rampers being really important in arena cube because that's a real mental shift if you've ever vintage cubed before the one mana rampers are so important and they're the best you know unless you're really thinking about something like a crater hoof behemoth or you know these game breaking top end cards for the green ramp deck a lot of the time you're just going to be able to find whatever you want to do that's going to be impactful for six mana seven mana eight mana in those decks and so the real important thing to make your deck consistent is to get five or six of those one drop rampers you can't really do that in arena cube so you got to make that shift up to the two mana rampers but i think i think that heuristic still holds in terms of those are the cards you want to prioritize it's not about taking hornet queen early it's about taking incubation druids early right and you can get up to five six two mana value rampers Mm -hmm. yeah and that's what you really want again so you can always make sure hey i'm gonna know that my opening hand will almost always have one of these and so i'm gonna consistently be able to ramp from two to four etc um another ramper rishkar pima renegade two and green for a two two that's actually a pretty sweet curve out because incubation druid only cares about having a counter on it so you curve out with rishkar comes into play as a two two and when it enters the battlefield you can put a plus one plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures and each creature you control with a counter on it has tapped add green to your mana pool this is a fine card it's worse than every two mana value ramper and i think pretty replaceable yeah and i think I mean, maybe we talked about this last week as well but the, the the green white plus one plus one counter deck has gotten significantly nerfed since the original iteration of the arena cube i agree i also yeah. have still lost to it yeah for sure but i feel like it's more of a green white beats deck than it is a you know 
plus one plus one counters deck. Sure, sometimes you get the Conclave Mentor and you get a Vorinclex at your top end or whatever, but there's not a lot of the synergy pieces there. Yes, I agree. Last card is Finale of Devastation. X green green for a sorcery, search your library and or graveyard for a creature card with converted mana cost X or less. Put it onto the battlefield. If you search your library this way, shuffle it. If X is 10 or more, creatures you control get plus X plus X and gain haste until end of turn. Don't put this card in your deck ever. Wow, just a hard no. Not what, what if I am doing the green white ramp Marari's weight? Can I play this then? I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> you could. I just think you're going to be losing more often than not putting this card in your deck. Making a card that you want cost two more makes it significantly bad. And I just think if you're making a lot of mana, there are way better finishers in the cube than Finale of Devastation. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. Okay, so where are you at here? This is probably not the most powerful pack of cube cards we've ever seen. Uh, For me, this is between Incubation Druid and Manaform Hellkite. And I think I would personally be on Incubation Druid as the cheaper card. And I like playing green decks a lot. Yeah, I have found it difficult to get into green decks. I found green, I, I, I feel like, what, what do you think about this statement? That I think green blue as a shell, I think green blue can do a lot of different things, but I think green blue as a shell in this cube may be the best deck. And I have found those two colors in particular to be contested in a lot of my drafts. I agree. I have found them to be contested a lot as well. Blue certainly way more than I would have expected feels cut very often. Mm -hmm. And I think green, as long as you prioritize the two mana rampers, you can get into it if you want, but not necessarily like a green, blue, good stuff style deck like you would want to. And what makes me especially sad is that you can't get Wilderness Reclamation anymore. I haven't seen it go late ever. Oh, I had a great draft the other day where I opened it and I was like, all right, we get to take Brazen Borrower here and we're going to wheel Reclamation. And we did. And the deck was sweet. Reclamation is such a good deck. Yeah, I like taking Incubation Druid here. I landed on the Maniform Hellkite. I was like, look, I even though we kept talking about it last week as like Blue Red is like, you know, one of the best new decks in the format, blah, blah, blah. I haven't played it yet. I've played against it a number of times, but I haven't played with it myself. So I was like, I'd like to try and get into this. And I think Hellkite is a good reason to do so. Yeah, sweet. All right. Pack one, pick two, following the Maniform Hellkite. Three lands in the pack. Uh, Darkboard Pathway, which is the black-green flip land. Hive of the Eye Tyrant, that's the black creature land. It's uh, three and a black. Make it a 3-3 menace, and when it attacks, you exile a card from your opponent's graveyard. I have found incidental graveyard hate to be quite a beating in this cube. Have you found that to be true? I agree. It's been excellent every time I've had it on my side and been backbreaking every time for the opponent. Which is just wild. Like, I don't think of there being that much, and maybe it's because I'm playing, like, you know, the recursive black creatures a lot, but even just, like, nabbing a spring to mind or a commit to memory like one of those flashback spells or those aftermath spells um nabbing those yeah those recurrable black one drops or you know there's a lot there's a handful of escape creatures etc i found hive to be good and then hostile hostile great improver totally unplayable in vow got my vote for like worst card in vow this is the land that taps for a colorless you can pay one tap it to sack a creature put a soul counter on it then if there are three or more you can flip it and untap it you only do this at sorcery speed Flips into a 3-7. One of the attacks, you can exile a creature card from your graveyard. If you do, each opponent loses X life and you gain X life where X is the number of creature cards exiled with creeping in. And you can also pay four to phase it out. I have found this as playable in Sacrifice decks as another like cheap sack outlet for your decks. I'd buy it. You're not going out of your way to pick it up though, right? 
no, and it wheels like all the time, and then you're not really gonna miss it. But like, as a, but it, it does slot into those decks, and it's fairly free in those style of decks. Um, there's an artifact here, Chromatic Orrery, seven mana for a legendary artifact. You can spend mana as though it were mana of any color. You can tap it to add five generic mana, or you can pay five and tap it to draw a card for each color among permanents you control. This would be another on my list of don't put this in your deck style cards. Yeah, I agree with that. If we're looking at blue-red to follow up Maniform Hellkite, there's nothing really great, right? There's a Scorch Spitter as our only red card. Red for a 1-1 whenever it attacks, it deals one damage to the player or Planeswalker it's attacking. This is fine in a mono-red aggro deck or whatever, but not anything you need to prioritize. Right. I think if you want to draft that style of deck, though, you're supposed to pick that card here. Right. I mean, much like the, you know, one and two mana rampers for a green deck, the one mana aggro cards for red decks or like the one mana recurrable threats for sacrifice decks or whatever. Those are really important for consistency reasons. Yep. Ruin Crab is also in the pack. Blue for an 03 Crab. It has landfall. Whenever land enters the battlefield under your control, each opponent mills three cards. This card is powerful, I think. Wait, really? Yeah. Have you not lost to mill? No. No, I have lost to mill a lot in this cube. Not with cards like, I think patient rebuilding is quite bad and slow, but I found Ruin Crab and sometimes Tutelage to be pretty oppressive. Huh, yeah. So, like, is this on your radar to pick here at all? Yeah, it is. I mean, I think this is, like, a little early for it, and I don't want to, like... I don't know. I'm not trying to I don't think it's like at its best in a blue red shell, but I think in like a blue green ramp deck, I would happily play this. So are you thinking it's just a threat to end the game? Is it going in a blue control deck as a win con? I think it can go in a blue deck as a win con. I think I wouldn't want it as my only piece of that puzzle. Like I'd want a Teferi or a Jace or something like that. But I do think it slots in there. But I think it's at its best as a piece in blue green when you've got like Cultivates or Settle the Wilds or whatever, like those things that ramp you via lands. All right. There's a red white card as well. There's Lightning Helix. Red white for an instant, deal three damage to any target and you gain three life. That's going to be great in any red white deck that can cast it, but I don't think you're supposed to pick it aggressively. There's just so many red burn spells that deal three and Lightning Helix is going to be one of the best. I just don't think you need to prioritize it, though. And that's something that I think you really want to think about in terms of uniqueness versus redundancy. Like I'm never taking those deal three effects in red highly because I know I can get access to them if red is going to be open. Similarly with black removal spells, you can maybe make a case for black removal spells that target planeswalkers as being a bit more unique. So something like a murderous rider or baleful mastery that can target a planeswalker, I think maybe moves up a little bit in value than just a straight up kill spell like heartless act. Um, But you really want to think about, oh, I can get that effect versus, oh, this card is the only card in the cube that does this thing. Um, And then, you know, that's going to be something that's above replacement level. And that's what we're talking about here. I will say, though, the red deal three effects go up if you're forcing mono red, I think. Otherwise, if you're just playing them in a blue red shell or something where you want a removal spell, Uh then they're less important, right? And in those red deck win style decks, the ones that can go face are more valuable than the ones that can't. So something like Skewer the Critics that can deal damage to your opponent, but any target ones are going to be better than something like Scorching Dragonfire. Yep. Um, what else we got in this pack? A couple black removal spells. Hogger Mauling is two black black for an instant. Destroy target creature costs one less to cast if an opponent controls no basic lands. And then it's also enter the battlefield tapped black land on the other side. Mythos of Nethroi, two and a black for an instant. Destroy target non land permanent if it's a creature or if green white was spent to cast this spell 
those are both fine. Yeah, fine, playable, replaceable. A card that I have liked in probably certainly my Luris decks, but also just in, you know, white double spelling decks, cheap white decks, Clarion Spirit, one and a white for a 2-2 spirit. Whenever you cast your second spell each turn, create a 1-1 white spirit creature token with flying. The card's good. I don't think you're going out of your way to pick it up, though. I think in the white two drop threats, it is in the mid to slightly above mid tier. Yeah, I'd put it like slightly above, I think. And then a whole mess of green cards here. We've got Fauna Shaman, one on a green 2-2. Green tap, discard a creature card, search your library for a creature card, reveal it, and put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. It's not a card you need to prioritize, but it can do great work in green decks where you have a lot of the two-mana mana dorks because when you draw those late in the game, they're really bad. So if you have a way to cash them in with Fauna Shaman to go get your Hornet Queen, for example, or whatever, that can be really powerful. More typically in cube, Fauna Shaman is used in a recurring nightmare style deck, but obviously that's not on the arena cube. So I think a little less good than normal. Yeah, I, it can also own your red, white Luris opponents when you have Thrag Tusk in your deck. <laughs> that is a feature of that card as well. Yes. Yeah, as, as Ben knows quite well against me. Uh, there's Blex Vexing Pest, two in a green for a 3-2. Other pests, bats, insects, snakes, and spiders you control get plus and plus one. And when it dies, you gain four life. And the flip side is uh, Sorcery, two black, black. You look at the top five cards for library. You can put any number of them into your hand for paying three life for each of them and the rest go in your graveyard. Uh, I like Blex in my Karuga decks because a three drop that like gains you life when it dies is pretty good. And also, guess what this synergizes with? Lolth, baby. Making your two on spiders three twos. That is going deep. That's <laughs> me, baby. I have never looked at Blex more than two seconds in a pack. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not a card you need to eye pick at all. Like you'll know when it's good for you and it's rarely going to be so there's hornet queen four triple green for a two two flying death touch when it etbs you make four one one green insect creature tokens with flying and death touch this is a real beating this is really hard to deal with unless you have a sweeper yeah, I think it's the best green finisher in the cube. Yep. And there's Oracle of Moldaya, three and a green for a 2-2. You can play an additional land on each of your turns. You can play with the top card of your library revealed, and you may play lands from the top of your library. My, my rule is if it's good enough for Vintage Cube, it's good enough for the Arena Cube. That is a good rule. And I think this is tough between Oracle and Hornet Queen for me, because if you take Oracle here and you don't wheel Hornet Queen, you're pretty sad. I think I would land on Oracle over Hornet Queen, hoping it wheels. And I think Oracle's probably good in every green deck that's not just a green ramp deck. So it probably is just Oracle on raw power. There are other yeah. finishers, even if you don't get the best finisher. Yeah, I mean, I, I took Oracle here and I was not expecting Hornet Queen to wheel at all. Like, I just don't think that that card is going to wheel in pack one. I think people like that card a lot, probably a lot more than I do um, and are going to snap it up. But I guess I guess a person can dream. All right, so we've got Oracle and Maniform Hellkite. Those are not two cards that I think go in the same deck, right? I'm hoping to not draft a green-red deck, I think, in this cube basically ever. Um, and I don't anticipate those two cards going in the same deck. I think that is a good place to be mentally. All right, so moving on to pack one, pick three. Got to talk about this card that we're going to see, but we'll, we'll, we'll tease it a little bit here. So let's talk about the red cards in the pack. A couple burn spells. Unholy Heat is red for an instant, deals two damage to target creature or planeswalker. If you have Delirium, which means four different card types in your graveyard, it deals six instead. And there's Scorching Dragonfire, one on red for an instant, deal three damage to target creature or planeswalker. If it would die, you exile it instead. Yeah, again, 
totally replaceable. You're never picking any of them early. Grim Lavamancer here is single red for a 1-1 human wizard. Red tap exile two cards from your graveyard. Grim Lavamancer deals two damage to any target. I kind of feel like Grim Lavamancer is in the Phyrexian Arena boat. I don't think it's that great in cube anymore. Yeah, I agree. There's there's some awkwardness in terms of one, I think it has tension in red black, which is the red deck I will often end up in the most, because a lot of your stuff you want to come back. You're reassembling skeletons, or you have Woe Strider and so or or Phoenix of the Ash, right? You have one of these escape threats that you don't want to exile other cards from your graveyard to not be able to recur. So I feel like Grim Lava Mancer in my mind only goes in an Obosh deck where it's going to deal four. Like that's a powerful thing. You know, you drop the Obosh for on turn six or whatever, and then you can, or when you have six mana available, and then you also have this as an activation. But I agree. I think it's just kind of gotten out class a little bit. Maybe it's still good in Vintage Cube and maybe Arena Cube just can't support it well enough yet. That's possible. And I think it is really good in a red aggressive deck, right? I think I've felt the same thing that you have. I've played it in red black and I've just felt a lot of tension with wanting things in the graveyard and then having to exile them to make Griblava Mancer good. So maybe it's just bad deck building on my part and Griblava Mancer is <laughs> still great. Sure, sure. Uh, And there's also Sarkon, the Masterless, three red red for a five loyalty walker. For plus one, until end of turn, each planeswalker you control becomes a four four red dragon creature and gains flying. Minus three makes a four four red dragon creature token with flying. And whenever a creature attacks you or a planeswalker you control, each dragon you control deals one damage to that creature. Whoa, I just zoomed on this card. Is this a new feature on 17 lands? Where when you what? zoom over the card below it, it says average pick 5.87 seen by users 2,119 times picked 465 of those 2,119 times. Uh, I don't know how recent that is, but it's been there for a little bit. Wow, that is super cool. I think that's yeah. a great way probably to just get better at cube two, assuming that people I don't that no, 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 no. Hold, no? Let's just let's just relax here with using <laughs> The data on 17 lands for cube drafting. So here, here's my, and I am a big data boy now, as you know, but here's my pitch against the data. One, the sample sizes are way too small. And two, unlike a normal limited format, like no one drafts cube the same way. And so it's really hard to like glean anything from like what the, the pick order is or like when something is going. Like I don't think that's going to really give you good information because like even you and I who are pretty similar in our approaches to cube do stuff pretty differently from draft to draft yeah that's probably fair i'm very impressed by that feature though that's cool (laughs) yeah it's a sweet feature um so of those four red cards do do anything that you like or you're just like "Eh, i'm hoping for something better no i think sarkon is excellent i think that is a great red threat at five cmc and i think it is above replacement level pretty significantly in the five mana slot and i think i would be giving strong consideration to sarkin card i would not be unhappy to first pick and are you nervous at all about starting off your draft with four drop four drop five drop if you were to take sarkin here no because you're never playing oracle with sarkin and maniform hellkite so it would be like having four drop five drop which is not ideal but i think both of those cards are way above replacement level in the four and five mana slot. So I think mm-hmm. having powerful cards locked up at the top end is not the worst, especially in a color like red that does have a lot of good cheap threats. Mm-hmm. And you you have to imagine you're going to wheel one of these three cards in Unholy Heat, Scorching Dragonfire and Lavamancer if you were to take Sarkhan here. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Um, a couple colorless cards here in Golden Egg. That's the two mana artifact at ETBs. You draw a card and you can pay one to sacrifice it, add a mana of any color, or pay two, sacrifice it to gain three life. And Solemn Simulacrum, four mana for a 2-2. When it ETBs, you search your library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. And when it dies, you may draw a card. Just a nice classic three for one. Yeah, I think Golden Egg doesn't do enough that you're hoping to include it most of the time unless you're mm-hmm. doing cute things like blinking it. And even then, it's a little fillerish. So yeah. I'm Lacrim, though, tried and true cube card. It's great to ramp with. I think card advantage, blocks, it's everything a control deck wants to do and is a very good card at the 4CMC slot in any kind of a deck that wants to go to the late game. Yeah, I'm going to run through the rest of the cards in this pack pretty quickly. There's Mull Drifter. That's the five mana 2-2 flyer. When it enters the battlefield, you draw two cards. You can evoke it for three mana. Angel of Sanctions, five mana 3-4 flyer. ETBs, exile, target, non-land, permanent, and opponent controls until it leaves the battlefield. Has Embalm for six mana. There's Phyrexian Obliterator. That's the quad black 5-5 trample when it's dealt damage. Uh, the person who is dealt that damage has to sacrifice that number of permanents. Scavenging Ooze, one in a green 2-2. Green exile target card from a graveyard if it was a creature card put a plus plus one counter on ooze and you gain a life thrix the sudden storm five mana four five flash flyer makes other expensive stuff cheaper and uncounterable bane veil which is the one in a blue instant creatures your opponent's control get minus two minus oh until end of turn and it's a blue etb tap land on the flip side none of that holds a candle to the last card in this pack ben wilderness reclamation baby 3g enchantment at the beginning of your end step untap all lands you control so you said you haven't seen this card like you feel like you or have you tried to wheel it and it doesn't wheel is that what you mean or you just haven't, I just seen, haven't it, seen it i would never let it try to wheel at this point <laughs> i feel like people are on to how busted it is and how busted it is in blue green instant speed stuff and it makes me really sad because the last time this cube was around all i did was draft assuming i was going to get wilderness reclamation every time and i got wilderness reclamation every time yeah so And have you seen it on the other side of the battlefield? Like you feel confident other people are doing it as well? I've faced it a couple times and I was very jealous. Yeah, the card is fantastic. I took it here. I just wanted to give us an opportunity to talk about the deck. I know we did on our last episode of the cube, like allude to it. And when we did our companion cube episode, we talked about it, I think, a little bit more in depth. But for folks who don't know or for who are going to see it in the the last week of the cube coming up and want to try and draft it, like what are you looking for when you see this deck? Why why is this card so powerful? It essentially doubles your mana, assuming you pick good instant speed cards, which there are a lot of. So then you can have counter spells. Essentially, once you stick Wilderness Reclamation and you have a counter spell in your hand, you're never tapping out the rest of the game while continuing to advance your board. You just have so much control over what happens in the game. The deck also got a sweet new addition in Hullbreaker Horror, um, which is one of the most busted cards possible with Wilderness Reclamation, but you want anything that says instant speed on it. So like Thrix or something like Brazen Borrower to bounce a threat and then stick a threat on your opponent's end step. But just doubling your mana is super busted in general. There's a reason this was one of the most broken cards in standard, and it is that powerful in the cube because all those cards that it was good with are in this cube too. The other thing to be on the lookout for, not only stuff that is an instant or has flash, is mana sinks so something like spectral sailor that you can pay four mana to draw a card into or terramander is just like a one shot hey i get to like pump mana into this to put a bunch of counters on it like adapt is great for that or uh what's it like dragon scale elite dragons guard elite the one in a green two two with magecraft and then you can pay four gg to double the plus and plus one counters on it um 
creatures that have those like big mana sinky things are also great with wilderness reclamation you just want as many ways to use your mana on your opponent's turn as possible you're thinking too small i want golos activations baby golos activations on your opponent's turn doesn't do anything well you get a golos activate on your turn and then have your mana up for all your instants on your opponent's turn sure 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 yeah yeah yeah. that's (laughs) fair that's fair um so i took the wilderness reclamation here and that was sort of like you know a lot of my drafts when they don't start with powerful things will be like let me figure out and maybe sometimes i figure out a lane like black red sacrifice is open because i see a judith late or whatever but then here when i see those build arounds like wilderness reclamation and approach of the second sun those would be my sort of like right below not below in terms of power but like below in terms of reliability of when i'm going to see them in the draft below the companions I feel like reclamation and approach are just like those are clearly defined archetypes in my mind and those are strong decks that i want to draft yeah makes sense to me Ben, we're not going to have time to do many drafts today. I thought we were going to have a lot. <laughs> we were just going to wham bam through these. Reading cube cards is takes a while. Yeah, we had some show notes laid out. And we were talking about going through six cube drafts with all of the first three picks like that. I think going forward, let's just take a look at the cards that are in consideration like we normally do. I think it was helpful to just see the types of cards that are replaceable, but I don't think we need to do that for every pack from now on. That seems fair. So this is another one of your drafts, cards that are in consideration. Wolf Willow Haven, 1G Aura Enchant Land. Whenever Enchanted Land is tapped for mana, its controller adds an additional green, and you can pay four and a green to sacrifice it to make a 2-2 green wolf creature token. That's in consideration as a 2-CMC green ramper. Mm-hmm. There's Treasure Map. Two mana artifact, one tap, scry one, put a landmark counter on treasure map. Then if there are three or more landmark counters on it, you remove those counters and transform it and create three colorless treasure tokens with tap, sack this artifact, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. And then on the back, you have treasure cove, which taps for a colorless or taps to sack one of those treasure tokens you made to draw a card. I've liked treasure map quite a bit. I don't think it's on the power level of, you know, there, there's only three two colorless mana rocks in the cube. There's Mindstone, Cold Steel Heart, and Guardian Idol. I don't think it's like quite there because, you know, it doesn't make the additional mana until many turns down the road. But I have found it to be a powerful, cheap effect. Yeah, I think any controlling deck or mid rangey style deck would be happy with a treasure map. Yep. There's Midnight Reaper. I like this card a lot. Two and a black for a 3-2. Whenever a non-token creature you control dies, Midnight Reaper deals one damage to you and you draw a card. Right. I mean, compare Midnight Reaper to Phyrexian Arena. How much better is Reaper as a three mana 3-2 that does basically what Arena does? It's significantly better. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Then there's Scarab God also. Three blue-black 5-5 legendary creature god. At the beginning of your upkeep, each opponent loses X life and you scry X, where X is the number of zombies you control. You pay two blue-black exile target creature card from a graveyard, create a token that's a copy of it, except it's a 4-4 black zombie. And when the Scarab God dies, return it to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. Yeah, this card is busto. I think it's kind of worse than in previous iterations of the arena cube but i would probably still put it in that like upper tier of just like raw power cards it's definitely top 10 top 15 threats in the cube right yeah i think so so here's my reticence i guess of picking scarab god is that i don't think blue black is a good deck or i guess i don't know like i just feel like it doesn't have any identity in the cube And the thing about blue-black that is tough is that both blue and black want to be base colors for you, right? They're both very mana-intensive colors to have or color-intensive colors to have. And the fact that this is five mana, and so it's on the expensive side, not to say that it's like 
you know, replaceable or anything, right? It's certainly above replacement. It's very, very powerful. And every time it lands on the battlefield, it demands to be answered with. And even if it's answered, you just get it back almost every time. But I I don't know. I've just found it hard to take here. Are you just like windmill slamming it in this pack? I think it's close between Treasure Map and Scarab God. I think I would land on Scarab God because I love playing with that card and it Mm -hmm. has a great mana sink for Wilderness Reclamation, all that sort of stuff. So I have fond memories of doing (laughs) gross things with it. So I think I would take Scarab God, but I think Treasure Map is certainly reasonable. All right. Yeah, I I landed on map here, but I think I I definitely recognize that like Scarab God is the most powerful card in this pack, period. Right. And I think... The advantage of taking treasure map here, which you did, is that you get to put a cheap card in your deck and then leave that five CMC slot open down the road, as well as not commit to any colors yet, right? You get to read signals. So that's all upside for treasure map. Yeah, that that was my thinking. Um, and, and there's also a fabled passage in the pack, which is one of the only lands that we like. That's the one that it's like evolving wilds effectively. But if you control four or more lands when you fetch the land, it comes into play untapped. Um, I think you could make a case for that, too, as a similar kind of thing of, hey, this leaves you open, etc. Um, but I just like map a little better. I agree. I think Fable Passage is the best land in the queue. Yes. Moving on to pack one, pick two. Much weaker pack here. You see the following cards as options. There's Elspeth's Nightmare, two and a black for the Saga. Chapter one, when it ETBs, destroy target creature and opponent controls power two or less. Chapter two, target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a non-creature, non-land card from it. That player discards that card. And chapter three, exile target opponent's graveyard. I love this card. I think it's really powerful in the cube. Like, you know, if you think about what the best decks are, unless you're playing against a true like blue control deck or whatever, like blue white control, even against blue green ramp, this is this threatens to just like take out their incubation druid, take out their sublime epiphany or discover the formula before they can cast it. Um, And then it's just really good against all the other creature decks. Yeah, I think other than the bombs, Elspeth's Nightmare might be the biggest grown test in the cube. <laughs> I mean, because sometimes you just go, oh, no, like there's just like no way to avoid the two for one. And also, again, the graveyard exile can be relevant in matchups as well. Yep. There's Forsaken Crossroads as a great new land. ETB's tapped. When it enters the battlefield, you choose a color. And when it enters the battlefield, scry one. If you weren't the starting player, you can untap Forsaken Crossroads instead. And then it taps for one mana of the chosen color. Love that card. There's Valky, God of Lies. One in a black for the 2-1. When it enters the battlefield, each opponent reveals their hand. For each opponent, exile a creature card. They're revealed this way until Valky leaves the battlefield. And you can pay X, choose a creature card exiled with Valky with a converter mana cost X, and have it become a copy of that card. Backside is a Planeswalker, Tybalt, Cosmic, Imposter, five black red for a five loyalty Planeswalker that plus twos to exile the top card of each player's library, minus threes to exile target artifact or creature, minus eight exile all cards from all graveyards, add red, 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 and you get an emblem when it ETBs with that you can play the cards that this exiles. I love a good secret seven drop in my Luris decks. <laughs> yeah. For sure. And then there's also Rekindling Phoenix, two red red for a 4-3 with flying. Whenever it dies, create a 0-1 red elemental creature token with at the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice this creature, and return Rekindling Phoenix from your graveyard to the battlefield and give it haste until end of turn. This card is absurd. Yeah. Yeah, it's really tough to deal with. I had to like go through some hoops against this the other day where I think I traded with it in combat or had to burn it on end step or something and then use Baral's expertise to bounce the little... A one token that it made. Yeah, card is a beating. I yeah. think I would be between those three cards myself: the the nightmare, the phoenix, and the Valky. 
Yeah, I, I landed on Nightmare here myself, um, partially because there was a Skyclave Shade in the pack, which is a really good card in the Black Sacrifice deck. So that's one in a black for a 3-1 that can't block. Um, you can also kick it for two in a black, and it comes in with two plus one. And it comes in with two plus one plus one counters on it. And it has landfall. You can just cast it from your graveyard when a land enters the battlefield under your control. And I was like, eh, you know, this gives me a little bit of direction. And oftentimes this deck is open so I can maybe uh, assume that that card wheels. Yeah, I think that makes sense. All right. So you got a treasure map and an Elspeth nightmare in your pile. Moving on to pack one, pick three. See the following cards as options. There's a Kolagon's command. One black red for an instant. Return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Target player discards a card, destroy target artifact, and it deals two damage to target creature or player. There's also Approach of the Second Sun. Six and a white for the sorcery. If the spell was cast from your hand and you've cast another spell named Approach, you win the game. Otherwise, put Approach into its owner's library, seven from the top, and you gain seven life. I really do think this is like this and Reclamation get my vote for like best build arounds in the cube. I just like windmill slam this. This gives my deck a direction. I think Approach is best home. And probably only home is blue-white because blue gives you so much velocity. I mean, even in this pack, there's a Thirst for Discovery, two in a blue instant, draw three cards, then discard two cards unless you discard a basic land. There's Sensor, which is one in a blue for uh, a counterspell unless its controller pays one, but it has cycling for single blue. So, you know, just get all these cards that let you dig towards approach and then also dig towards approach again when it's, you know, cast and put seven deep into your library. Yeah, but it's hard to know that kind of thing if you're new to the cube, right? So that's where we're trying to be helpful here, right? Like that approach is a card that matters a lot. And if you see Mm -hmm. it and you want to build that deck, you can do that thing. And so just going into a cube draft, knowing that sort of stuff helps make it a little less daunting, I think, when you're doing your first three, four cube drafts. Well, because it lets you know like, oh, well, yeah, but this is seven mana and Ethan and Ben said seven mana stuff is replaceable. It's like, no, but this is this is one to look out for. This is one to say, oh, this is a game plan for an entire deck and is worth taking. And honestly, if you're cubing for the first time, if you just see a card like that that pushes you in a direction, you see a wilderness reclamation, you see an approach or you see mono red cards or whatever, and you just decide okay, I see this, I'm going to try to build this deck. Like if you think about getting a powerful card early and building a deck around it, rather than trying to read signals or do all that sort of stuff, I think you're just going to be way better off. Yeah, and the only time that I abandon ship, and I don't think we'll get to one of those drafts here, but the only time that I abandon ship on something like that, like if I start out with a Golos or whatever, and I'm not seeing the two mana rampers in green or whatever, the things that I feel like enable the deck, that's when I move off of it, right? I'm not like, I'll abandon ship for that. But if I'm seeing the support, the cheap support for the deck I want to draft, I'm full steam ahead, baby. Yes, I completely agree. What about Kolagon's Command? Have you seen that card? Like that card? I've liked that card. I've, I've seen it, liked it. I've played it, played against it. It's r- ridiculous. I didn't realize I played against uh, Tan and Grace, actually, in my uh, last round of my uh, CFB video that'll be out this week um, playing Cube. And he had Kolagon's Command plus Timeless Witness in his deck. And I was like, oh, God, that's just an infinite loop like witness gets back <laughs> command then command gets back witness once it dies like i that blew my mind it was ridiculous and also like i was playing a deck i think i had bolus's citadel in my deck and like couldn't stick that because Kolagon's command was going to threaten to blow it up so obviously the ceiling on this card is quite high i also think the it's not as busted as it is 
like in Vintage Cube, this card is phenomenal because everybody's running artifacts, right? So this is so often a straight up two for one. Um, but I do think this card is powerful. You heard it here first, folks. Incoming Ethan Sachs drafts every cube as Jund Cube. Jund Cube, baby. <laughs> Gotta do it. Let's let's uh let's see if we can can't squeeze in one more draft here, Ben. Let's let's do one of yours. All right, to round things out here, we're gonna take a look at one of my drafts. So pack one, pick one, see the following cards as options. There's Wolf Haven again, another two mana value ramper. There's Colagon's Command, which we just talked about. And really, that's about it. Like there's blue counter spells. Like there's a neutralize if you're into that one blue, blue instant counter target spell with cycling two. There's not really a card to force mono red with here. There's no real sacrifice pieces. This is a pretty weak pack. Yeah, this is a really weak pack. So I, I like taking either of those two, I think is totally reasonable. I, I, one thing we haven't talked about yet is out of these weak packs, one of the things that it will often be a tiebreaker for me is if I feel like I can take a card and wheel a card for the same deck. But because this pack is so weak, so like let's say there were there was one of those like recurrable one drops, like a gutter bones or something in the pack. Then I'd be like, ooh, I'd like to take Colagon's command here because I can probably wheel that other good piece of the puzzle for a black red sack deck or whatever. But you don't even have that here. And like, you know, you can make a case for, well, you could take neutralize and wheel spectral sailor or something. But that's one, not necessarily going to happen. And two, like, I don't want to draft blue or fight for blue for cards of that quality, you know? Um, so I think I like just taking Wolf Willowhaven here. That seems fine. Right. Well, and I think the other way to think about this too is that this would be like looking at a pack of Crimson Vow that is all C's, C pluses. Like Wolf mm-hmm. Willowhaven is not a B level card really in cube. Like it's kind of close to B minus. But you got to get some other two mana rampers before you're really excited about all your two mana rampers. So I think you're just taking a card here and it would be like starting your draft with Spore Crawler or something. Yeah, like Voldaren Epicure. Yes, you're putting literal zero weight on the card that you're drafting here going forward into the next pack. Yep, exactly. All right, moving on to pack one, pick two with the Wolf Willowhaven in your pile. You see the following cards as options. There's a Conclave Tribunal, three and a white for the enchantment with Convoke. When it enters the battlefield, exile target non-land permanent and opponent controls until Conclave Tribunal leaves the battlefield. This is, again, good, but not above replacement in my mind because there's also Banishing Light. There's also Cast Out, right? There are similar style effects in white that you can get. I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, this is, again, another stinker of a pack here. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I'm even struggling to come up with cards in consideration. And I think the only one really is the one I end up picking, which is sort of body and mind. So it's three mana for an artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, and has protection from green and from blue. Has an equip cost of two. And whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, you put a two, two green wolf creature token onto the battlefield. And that player puts the top 10 cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard. I had a really sweet match with this like artifact deck i drafted the other day where i had to let my opponent hit me with the sort of body in mind to hopefully have the mill one of my two sweepers <laughs> so that i could get it back with balaged recovery and that worked um, nice i think sort of body in mind again it's not quite phyrexian arena levels but i do think it's like this card was a real banger in 2013 <laughs> in cube and i don't think it's that good anymore it's just like three mana to do nothing equip cost of two sometimes it's relevant but sometimes it like helps your opponent because you like don't want to hit their i don't know you don't want to mill them it can certainly win games but i don't love it 
Yeah, I've cooled on it a little bit, which is kind of crazy because the first time around, I was like, why did they put this in the cube? It's way better than every other card in the cube. Mm -hmm. And I've kept it on the sidelines in some decks this time around, which felt weird to me, but I did it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Like I said, it's it's powerful in some decks, certainly very powerful in some matchups, especially having protection from what I think in theory is the best two color combination in the cube. But sometimes it just doesn't get there. Right. And is I think goes way up in value in best of three where you can sideboard mm-hmm. it appropriately. But I think yes. in best of one. I think you're probably going to play it a lot of the time, but not 100% of the time. Agreed. But yeah, what you don't have a good... If there were a one or two mana ramper in green in this pack, I think you would take that as a follow-up over sword. I think I agree with that, yeah. Yeah. All right, so we grab the sword of body and mind, moving on to pack one, pick three. Another really weak pack here. Jeez. So cards like Fight with Fire, two and a red, sorcery deals five damage to target creature. If it was kicked for five and a red, it deals 10 damage divided as you choose among any number of targets instead. There's Faithful Disciple, one and a white for the 2-2 two, two Vigilance. Whenever it dies, draft a card from Faithful Disciple Spellbook. There's Sphinx of Foresight, two blue blue, four, four flyer. At the beginning of your upkeep, scry one. If you had it in your opening hand, you scry three on your first upkeep if you reveal it. But I mean, none of those cards are very exciting. Uh, there's first a row in games, two in a green for the Aura Saga. Chapter one, you make a one one white human soldier token. Chapter two, put three plus one plus one counters on target creature you control. Chapter three, if you control a creature with power four or greater, draw two cards. Chapter four, you create a gold token. Yeah, I mean, this pack is super weak. There's four lands here and I could see just being like, eh. Like the things that I'm looking for in a pack are, one, are there those like, Busted, irreplaceable top end cards. No. Okay, are there those really good cheap glue cards or cheap, you know, enablers for certain archetypes? Not really even. Like, I guess Faithful Disciple is fine in various white decks, but it's not anything to write home about. So I might just be tempted to take a land here. I have not. I mean, first row in games follows up Haven in terms of being a green card. I have not played at Rowan Games myself, and I have found it pretty easily disruptable on my opponent's side to be able to just like stop them from getting to put counters on something and then draw, like kill the thing that they're putting the counters on in response, and then they don't get to draw. Um, so I found that card to not be that powerful in cube. But again, this pack just, it, it largely just doesn't matter. I agree. I took first to Rowan Games very unhappily because I've had all the same experiences you have. I have played it, but it's been super disruptable. But I think the lands are just whatever, too. I think lands without a direction is yeah. just awkward in Arena Cube. I agree. I agree for sure. So I did take the first to Rowan Games here to match up with green cards. And then moving on to pack one, pick four. We see the best pack we've seen <laughs> all draft by quite a long shot here. So Cards in consideration, there's Thraben Inspector, white for a 1-2 when it enters the battlefield, Investigate. Yeah, I, I love that card. It's really strong. I mean, you're just happy to play that in literally any deck that has planes in it. And so why is that so strong, right? You're looking at all these other cards that are just absurdly busted, right? Thraben Inspector is a worse magic card than First Row in <laughs> Games in any normal limited format. Yeah, so in cube, though, when you think about what white is trying to do, it's generally either aggressive, and you're happy to have just any amount of one drops in those aggressive decks for that consistency thing we were talking about. Then also, it's not a bad draw late, because it's just going to replace itself, right? It makes the clue. Then also, you think about what white does in the cube is it has this like enter the battlefield blink thing going on with a card that's in the pack here as well, Yorian Sky Nomad, with teleportation circle, you know, you pair it with blue, and maybe you get soul herder or 
or Thassa, but that's a theme that's seeded into the cube. And Thraben Inspector is great in those style of decks as well. And so it's just going to be a really good, cheap thing, right? It's not going to, unlike taking a five drop that you can only run so many five drops, you can happily run as many one drops as you want in any cube deck. And you're not going to feel like, oh, I have too many of these, right? Right. All right. So there's also Skewer the Critics, two and a red for sorcery, spectacle cost of red, deals three damage to any target. Yeah, fine. I mean, it can go face, but I'm not going to get into red for a card like Skewer the Critics. There's Weaponize the Monsters, red enchantment, two mana, sack a creature, Weaponize the Monsters deals two damage to any target. This card is really good. I think it's really surprising to me how good it is in Arena Cube. Like you would think, eh, it's an enchantment. It's a you have to pay two mana to sacrifice something like it's not a free sack outlet, like something like Woe Strider or Priest of the Forgotten Gods. But I have closed out many, many games with Weaponize the Monsters this cube season. Yep, card is great. And I think Black Red Sacrifice is one of the best archetypes in the cube. Yeah. Like doesn't have the most intrinsically powerful cards, but just as far as synergy is one of the most synergistic decks in the cube. I'd call it like it feels to me like drafting Jund in Vintage Cube does. Like, I don't think it's a tier one archetype, but in terms of its consistency and reliability, in terms of being able to draft it, draft in and draft out, I think Red Black gets there a lot. Yep. There's also Elspeth's Nightmare, which we've already talked about being completely busted. Mm hmm. One of your favorites, Yorian Sky Nomad, three and then Azorius Azorius Hybrid Mana, legendary creature, bird serpent companion. 4-5 flyer, whenever it enters the battlefield, exile any number of other non-land permanents you own and control. Return those cards to the battlefield at the beginning of the next end step. And it's got companion. Your starting deck size contains at least 20 cards more than the minimum deck size. Well, I know what I'm taking out of this pack. <laughs> Is it really just that clear cut for you? Yeah, I mean, I see what you take with the card we haven't talked about yet, and I think that's like totally reasonable. But the thing that I really like about Yorian is I think the ceiling is higher than anything else in this pack, and it gives me a direction. Like taking something like Approach or Wilderness Reclamation, taking a Companion gives me something to work towards. Now, if something better presents itself to me in terms of like an open lane, I'm happy to do it. But if that doesn't happen, Yorian is the kind of card that you want to take early so you can make playables. And so I think this is a great time to take it. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it is definitely in consideration for me. There's also Glass Pool Mimic, two and a blue for the zero zero. Um, you can have it enter the battlefield as a copy of any creature you control. And then on the backside, it's a land. Been very impressed with Glass Pool Mimic. Yeah, sweet. And then there's also Noxious Gear Hulk, four black black for a five four menace. When it ETBs, you can destroy another target creature. If a creature is destroyed this way, you gain life equal to its toughness. Yeah, I mean, this card does everything you want a six drop to do. It's going to kill your opponent's best threat. It's going to gain you life. So if you're behind, it catches you up. And then it is also itself a really strong threat as a five four menace. Yeah, and great to blink. There's a lot of ways to abuse it, I think. So for mm-hmm. me, this ultimately came down to Yorian or Noxious Gear Hulk. And I had already played with Yorian several times, and I had not cast any Noxious Gear Hulks yet, so I ended up on the Noxious Gear Hulk. Well, and I also think that, you know, you're seeing Elspeth's Nightmare and Weaponize the Monsters in this pack, and so it's not unreasonable to think that one of those can come back if you, you know, start to navigate yourself into Black Red. Yeah, I definitely had that on my radar as well. So pack one, pick five, see the following cards as options. There's not great cards. There's Supreme Will as the best <laughs> blue card. Two and a blue instant. Choose one. Counter target spell and it's control. It pays three. Or you can look at the top four cards of your library. Put one of them in your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. 
Good in a control deck. There's Mayhem Devil. One black red for a 3-3. When a player sacrifices a permanent, Mayhem Devil deals one damage to any target. There's Magmatic Channeler. Maybe if you want to abandon ship and go down a spells route. Uh, one red for a 1-3. As long as there are four more instant sorcery cards in your graveyard, it gets plus 3, plus 1. And you can tap, discard a card to exile the top two cards of your library and then choose one of them to play this turn. And that's really about it. The only black card in the pack is Bolus' Citadel. Three triple black. You can look at the top card of your library at any time. You can play the top card of your library. If you cast a spell that way, you pay life equal to its converted mana cost rather than pay its mana cost. And you can tap sack 10 non-land permanents to have each opponent lose 10 life. I really like Citadel as a build around, but you just took a six mana black card and I don't think I want to load up on those. And there's a card that gives you a direction here as well in Mayhem Devil. And I think that's a better pick and is cheaper. And it's one of like the more, it's actually a super unique effect because it's one of the only things that is like a payoff for sacrificing stuff. Yeah, I actually landed on the Mayhem Devil here knowing that we had just passed Weaponize and thinking that there was a chance that Weaponize could wheel because it often does despite Mm -hmm. I think you and I thinking it is one of the better cards for Black Red Sacrifice. I mean, it's like it's an uncommon. So sure, it was like really good in its limited environment. But I think a lot of people look at that. And I think a lot of people just look at Black Red Sacrifice in general, because it feels open a lot of the time and go, eh, this deck isn't that powerful in comparison to other stuff you can do. And so I I agree, I've seen the card go late. And I don't think that's an unreasonable expectation. Right. So I took the Mayhem Devil here again, hoping to find a direction because we really didn't have one. So your point about Yorian does stand from the last pack, I think, in that respect as well. So was drafting with that in mind. Pick seven got a very late Eldest Reborn, which is way too late for that card. That's the saga that uh, chapter one, each opponent sacks a creature or a planeswalker. Chapter two, each opponent discards a card. And chapter three, put target creature or planeswalker card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. And then pick eight got Lulth Spider Queen, which is just Oof. absurd. That's one of the better cards in the cube right now. And so that yeah. just was like, OK, we're drafting plaque. And then I did end up wheeling the weaponize the monsters and got into an excellent black red sacrifice deck. You also wheeled Coligon's command, which was the other card we were considering pack one pick oneing. Yeah, pretty decent. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, great place to wrap us up. I think hopefully we got some concepts across there from cubing. We had bigger plans, but it's hard <laughs> with cube. The cards are just so complex and there's so much to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I, I hopefully folks like this. We would really like some feedback in terms of like, do do people want to engage with cube in this way? Or is it like, eh, maybe just like once a season is enough and, and back to back episodes. Like I'm interested to hear what folks want out of us from a cube episode but i do think talking about all the cards you know i know i know it's a lot of reading cards but i do think talking about all the cards in the pack is important because i think it's super overwhelming if you haven't cubed before to look at cards to look at all stars from limited seasons past and go what am i supposed to do here so to sort of go from that first draft where we're looking at literally every card in the pack and talking about where they slot in to then looking at drafts two and three here and really going okay here are the cards in consideration i think even that sort of like microscoping in will be helpful for some folks to go oh ben and ethan aren't considering these 10 cards out of the pack they're only looking at these four what does that mean in terms of like why are these cards not in consideration they're not that you know upper tier of bombs they're not that 
second tier of like cheap glue interactive cards or whatever. Um, and I think that gives people a little idea about how we're approaching stuff. And then what are the cards that stand out? It's like, this gives me a direction. So I'm going to push hard down that road. Yeah. And I think those direction cards are the most important ones to be able to identify because once you have your direction, then it's a little less overwhelming. Yeah, I think so. And well, then it becomes there's there is a finesse afterwards of like, okay, now I know I'm in red black. You know, I feel like we could do an episode of, you know, you're in red black and now here are the choices in pack two, pick one, right? Or whatever of the four black and red cards. What do you want? Like what fills your curve out? What is unique? What's replaceable, et cetera. It's hard. It definitely is hard, but it's really rewarding once you start to understand it and get more comfortable and it will make you a better drafter in normal draft formats. Could not agree more. All right. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you over there. You can also check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome, Mr. Spelled Out. And we're both under those same usernames on Twitter. And you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. worked hard for what you have your money your assets your 401k and home isn't it all worth protecting nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft lifelock ultimate plus helps protect your finances with up to three million dollars in reimbursement lifelock alerts you to identity threats you might miss and if your identity is stolen your dedicated u.s-based restoration specialist will work to fix it let lifelock help protect what you've worked so hard for save 25 percent off your first year on lifelock ultimate plus at lifelock.com aware terms apply Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 
Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.